Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. We're so glad that you joined us today. It is our desire at Faith to help you connect, grow, and go in your walk with God. We hope you're encouraged by this message from Pastor Steve. If you have your Bible with you, if you want to turn with me to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We're going to use that for a, a springboard here this morning. And, uh, and looking into the Word of the Lord together, this is our third in a week of series of messages uh, that we've entitled, Since You've Believed. We find that phrase, or at least the implication, over and over in the New Testament, that since that pivotal moment of coming to Christ, there are to be some changes in our lives, there's to be some differences in the way that we live life, the way that we process relationships and all these various things. So we're returning to some of those foundational building blocks of faith that are presented to us in scripture and we're asking that very important question since we've believed has this become a practice in our lives or is it something we've just kind of skipped over or are we actually applying these things and growing in these things and expecting the Lord to lead us to a victorious life so uh, I want to ask you another one of those questions here this morning and um you know, we say that we trust God. How many of you, I'm sure if I ask right now, how many of you trust God? Raise your hand. We, we see hands going up all over the sanctuary. We all trust God, right? How many of you know or believe that in many instances, this trust that we have for God is often limited to the invisible or the intangible elements of the spiritual realm and they don't really flow over into our natural lives. We, we trust God for our salvation, but not necessarily for our life, for our living, for our decision-making, and not for our livelihood in many instances. But it's just limited to the unseen, the intangible things of the spirit world. When, when we differentiate that, when I say spiritual life, natural life, in spiritual life I'm speaking about the, the plane or the level on which we communicate with God, our, our inner man, we, we pray, we worship, we seek the Lord, we call all those things spiritual exercises. And then as when we talk about natural life, I'm talking about this life that we conduct in the body. The, the things that we process through the five senses, the things that we touch, taste, smell, hear, all those things, that's, that's what I'm referencing when I talk about the natural life. How we interact with one another as human beings, the places we go, the things that we see, all of those things. Now, too many times I believe in the life of the Christian, there is an unhealthy attempt to differentiate between the spiritual life and the natural life of the believer. And I say that that's unhealthy or can be unhealthy for the believer because if we separate the two there's a potential that we end up living a double life. We serve God or we say we serve God spiritually, but naturally there's nothing in our lives, the way that we live life, the way that we process life, there's nothing about that that's reflective of the truth that we serve the Lord and we trust God. And you say, well, Pastor, you, you just said we shouldn't differentiate and you differentiated, and I understand that, but I'm making a point, okay? Do you realize that as it relates to our faith, 
This is the only area in life where we try to separate the physical from the spiritual. It's only as it pertains to serving the Lord. There are some conversations that we have in church that we would not have anywhere else on the planet. There are things that people say to me as a pastor that they would not say to anybody else on the planet. One of those things is people will say, well, pastor, I'm not able to be at church this week. I'm not able to be at this event. I'm not able to be there. I'm not able to be there in person, but I will be there in spirit. I would challenge any of you to try that tomorrow morning with your employer and give them a call and say, listen, bud, I don't know what's going on, but I can't be there in body today, but I'll be there in spirit. See if that counts. I I would wager probably that it would not go over too well for you. (laughs) They'll be, as one evangelist said one time, they'd probably reply to you and say, we don't want your spirit here. That's part of the problem. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, goodness. Paul Paul explains it best this way in Galatians 2.20, and he says this, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in what? In the body. Like, you mean the actual you that we all see? That's exactly what I'm talking about. That person sitting next to you, that life. The life I now live in the body. The you that gets up and goes to work in the morning. The you that comes home to your family in the evening. The you that makes all the choices for your life. That you. The life I now live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul makes it clear here that this new life we now have through Christ Jesus is not just for the spirit, but it's for the whole of our being. I am, me, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And you say, well, you look like the same old Steve. You kind of talk like the same old Steve. And sometimes you act like the same old Steve. And that's a shame. But I'm different. I'm changed. I should be, right? There should be something different. How many of you have ever looked at somebody and said, wow, they claim to be a Christian, but... Because there's an expectation from us that they don't just stand around and serve Jesus in spirit, but they serve him with all of who they are. Every bit of their life, it's life in Christ, not spiritual life in Christ, not physical, it's life. We do life. We do life together. And there there are so many principles that we could underscore at this point to drive this home, but I'm afraid that time would fail us here this morning. But nonetheless, let me briefly mention a couple here. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, if you're taking notes, that once we have been saved, our bodies, our physical existences become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul writing to the Corinthian church about this very thing that they were serving God in spirit, but their bodies were doing other things. He writes to them and says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? 
Can I tell you, and this may take some of you aback here this, uh, this morning, but can I tell you today that God doesn't live in this building? God does not live here. This is a facility. Yes, it is sanctified. It is set apart for the purpose of bringing glory to God and the furtherance of the gospel ministry, but God does not abide here. God abides in you. He lives in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we learn from Jesus in the Gospels that the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to testify of Christ, he's going to bring glory to Christ, then doesn't it stand to reason that if we are the base of operations for the Holy Spirit, then our bodies also ought to bring glory and honor to the name of Jesus. My question today is this. Since you've believed, since you've given your heart to the Lord, have you trusted Jesus with your physical life? I don't mean you come to church and you say, you know, kumbaya or whatever with everybody else around you and then you leave this place and what you've had here is of none effect in the rest of your life. I'm asking you, are you a Christian not just at church, not just on Sunday morning, not just on Wednesday evenings, but 24 hours a day, seven days a week, everywhere that you go, are you trusting the Lord with your life? Not just your salvation, but with your life. And to answer this question, we're going to have to ask a few more. And it's, as I said earlier, it's by no means an all-inclusive of every way that we might serve Jesus with our natural lives, but it's enough to establish a clearly defined principle in the Word. Now, in this mixed-up society in which you and I live and, and have our daily lives, I've got to tell you that it's my observation that there are a lot of people who are leaning on their own understanding. They're looking to their own wisdom. They're assessing spiritual things with a natural mind and then they assess those things and say, well, I think or I feel a certain kind of way. And that's great. We want to be sensitive to what you think or what you feel, but can I tell you that at the end of it all, that is irrelevant. Because what really matters is what God has said. And, and some people live really conflicted and complicated lives because though they claim Christ as their Savior, there's nothing about the way that they choose to order their lives that bears witness to the fact. In other words, they profess a faith that has no bearing on their life choices. They lie, just like everybody else. They cheat, they steal, just like everybody else. They engage in adulterous relationships and fornications, just like everybody else. And that leads me to my first question, and that's this. Do you look to the Bible, since you've believed, do you trust the Lord with your physical life? In other words, do you look to the Bible and the leading of the Holy Spirit to inform your life choices? Listen, the idea of spiritual choice and choosing, it's not just about accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's about at every point in life seeking the direction and the wisdom of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit and walking in the way that the Lord has prescribed in His Word that we would live. 
And you say, wait a minute, Pastor, I'm not comfortable with this at all. I'm, I'm, I'm not for legalism. I'm on the side of grace. Well, let me tell you something. I'm as much against legalism as anybody. But I am definitely on the side of principle. And while you shouldn't be expected to live your life according to the letter of the law, there should be some God-honoring principles upon which your life is founded. Every direction, every step that you take in your life, there's a handful of God-honoring principles that need to govern that direction. And the scriptures are filled with principles not only for our salvation, but here's the key, for our victorious living as well. You're, you're not going to live victoriously in Christ living by the Burger King slogan. You know what that is, right? Have it your way. No, Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Now, there's no need for us to say that we love Jesus and, and live a sexually promiscuous lifestyle and then complain because of how complex our relationships are and, and because of the consequences that may arise because of our choices. There's no need to say that we love Jesus but constantly ingest immoral or demonic media content and not know why we can't get a hold of our thought lives. In short, we can't live contrary to the way that the Lord has prescribed and expect anything different than negative and contrary consequences. And the answer to this is like so. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. They're so much higher. They're so much better. And it requires faith on our part to trust him and to walk in these ways. Now, I want to tell you this. It would be great with me. Maybe you'll agree with me. It would be great with me if at every crossroad, every turn, every corner in life where we were faced with a decision, it would be wonderful if the Holy Spirit would just club us over the head and drag us in the right direction. Right? You know, Mama used to tell us she was going to knock us in the middle of next week. Sometimes I just like for the Holy Ghost to knock me into the right direction. Had a friend ask a couple of weeks ago if I thought his Mama could still slap him into the middle of next week because he needed his paycheck. <laughs> but as believers... You all know it doesn't work that way. He's, the, the Holy Spirit's not leading us around with a hook in the nose. We are responsible for our decision making. We're responsible for the choices that we make. But here's the key. We're not directionless in this. Jesus didn't die on a cross and say, hey, now you're saved. Go figure it out. No, he, he left us. He left us instruction. He left us guidance. He left us wisdom. And number one of the beliefs that we have here at this church is this, that number one, the first of them, the first of many is this, that we believe that the scriptures are inspired. The scriptures, both Old and New Testaments, are verbally inspired of God and are the revelation of God to man, the infallible, authoritative rule of faith. And that's where most people stop with the word, is that it's the rule of faith. But it continues here, we believe that it is also of conduct. 
That there's a way in the word that we order our lives. As a matter of fact, the psalmist put it this way. He says, oh Lord, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. The psalmist also says that he was going to use that word as a lamp unto his feet and a light unto his path. He was going to let it guide him. He was going to let it direct him. He was going to let it light his pathway so that he would understand what directions that he needed to take in life. Now, Jesus says this in John 16, 13, but he, when he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He'll not speak of his own, but he'll speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. Jesus says, in other words, that I put the truth before you. The spirit of truth is going to come. He's not going to club you over the head, but gently and tenderly. He's going to lead you. He's going to guide you. He's going to open your understanding. He's going to illuminate your thoughts, not only to understand the word, but know how to make practical application to your own life. You see, even in our modern day, we can be, we can have the experience with the Lord that Isaiah promised to the children of Israel. And we find that in Isaiah 30, verse 21. It says, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. This is the way. Walk in it. When you listen to the sermons... You read your Bible or you pray. You're doing more than receiving spiritual nourishment. You're receiving instructions for faith-filled living. And as believers, we need to stop asking as a means of primary decision-making what's popular, what's entertaining, what's fun, what's financially advantageous, what's socially acceptable. And we need to return to the practice that our primary decision-making criteria asks, according to the word of the Lord, will God be honored in my life by my choosing this path? And if the answer obviously is yes, then by all means pursue that. But if it's no, we need to back away. We need to rethink that direction. And here's the promise of the word. Psalm 1, beginning verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the way of the sinners, or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law does he meditate day and night. He will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water whose leaves shall not wither, and he shall bear fruit in due season. Come on, somebody. And whatever he does shall prosper. Listen. You and I need to be looking to the word of the Lord and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to order our lives if we're going to move forward, if we're going to take new territory. Even then, I do believe that there are many people who love Jesus. They understand the word. They want to do the word, but something yet remains. And I would ask you, in order to figure all this out, have you trusted Jesus with your natural life? I would ask you, have you given him your fears? This world is definitely filled with hazards, isn't it? There are so many things that could go wrong. <laughs> How many of you know a lot of people, believer and unbeliever alike, they, they put more validity in Murphy's Law than they do the promise of God? You know Murphy's Law. If it, will, if it can go wrong, it will. 
I know a lot of people, believer and unbeliever alike, that they, they think that's truer than the word of the Lord. But God's promises are sure. They're forever settled. The word says they won't return to him void without accomplishing the purpose for which it was sent. Listen, we, we live in fear. So many times we, we could live in fear about our health. And we say, sure, we're healthy today, but you know, with all the bad diagnoses going around, surely it's only a matter of time before I get mine. Right? We start examining every little bump more closely. We begin to feel every little ache is the beginning of something much worse. Many people live in fear regarding their relationships. We wonder how long it's going to be before somebody rejects us. We wonder how long it's going to be before our spouse walks out on us. We worry about our finances and listen, we're called to be good stewards and it's not that we should approach this issue haphazardly. But listen, if we're honoring God in this area, then we shouldn't fear constantly that the time of our demise is right around the corner. Because David said this, I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor God's seed begging bread. Listen, he's a good father and he knows how to take care of his own. Those of you like me that have kids, you've found through the years that you've been introduced to a whole new realm of ways to worry. A whole new lot of things to be afraid of. Because not only do you worry about other things, like, you know, naturally we worry about our finances, our career, our health, and what's for dinner. And That's a real big debate around my house. I don't know about any of y'all. And fellas... I hate to tell you this, but if she says it doesn't matter, that's a lie. <laughs> Help me, Lord. Jesus. But after your kids, you worry about all that stuff, for, not only for yourself, but then for them as well. And then that little baby has a fever at night and you don't understand what's going on. You don't understand why that temperature keeps climbing and you're sitting there in the dark midnight hour and you're calling out to God and you're saying, Lord, do something here. I'm afraid. I don't, I don't know what's happening. You're afraid as you're you know, taking on that responsibility of, of, of raising that child. You're, you're afraid that you don't know what you're doing as you're trying to raise them. I mean, you're afraid that you're ruining what would have been a perfectly good human. Then they go to school. Then they go to school, and once they get to school, you never again process the news of violence on a school campus again ever the same way. And then one day, you're standing in the yard with Mama, you watch that baby drive away. And you never hear the siren of an emergency vehicle in the same tone or pitch again without saying, gosh, I hope they're okay. I hope some reckless and irresponsible person hasn't hurt my baby. And we're afraid. But can I tell you something? If there's one thing that the enemy wants to do to you and I, it's to keep us bound in fear. 
Because fear is the greatest hindrance to the movement of faith whereby we obtain the promise of God. See, faith is a movement. Faith is a movement. It's not a theoretical belief. You understand that? So many people approach faith like it's some kind of belief in a theory. It's not a theoretical belief, but it's an active motion. See, when the Bible says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness, it doesn't mean that he simply agreed with the paradigm or that he believed in the theory. It means that he packed up everything that he owned according to the word of the Lord and he left everybody he knew of all places to go to somewhere that God wasn't going to show him until he had packed up everything he owned and left everybody he knew. That's faith. That's faith. Faith is you standing there and saying, God, I know what your word says, but it doesn't make any sense to me. But nevertheless, at your word, I'm going to do it anyway. Listen, fear is paralyzing. Fear keeps you and I from reaching out for the dreams that God has birthed in our hearts. Fear keeps you and I from pursuing the destiny that God has set before us. You say, well, pastor, what about doubt? Doubt's natural. To doubt is natural. Peter doubted when Jesus asked him to cast his nets out on the side of the boat in the middle of the scorching day for a great haul of fish. Peter said, I don't think so, but nevertheless, at your word. That's what I'm going to do. In other words, what Peter was saying here is this. Look, I don't think it'll work. The circumstances, the historical data, and my personal experience do not support the thought that this is going to work, but by faith in what you've said, I'm going to do it. Look, the Roman centurion came to Jesus and said, Lord, would you heal, would you heal my little baby? Would you heal my child? And Jesus said to him, do you believe? He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help my doubt. Help my doubt. Listen, God can overwhelm your doubt if you'll take the step of faith, but he's not going to force you to move if you allow fear to paralyze you. Why is that? Because fear is nothing that God gave you anyway. It's something that we receive into our lives that didn't come from him. And we've got to lay it down. Listen, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And if we're willing to lay fear down, God wants you to stand up and say, Lord, I may have apprehensions about the things I'm facing, but I choose faith and not fear on my life, and I am confidently moving forward, believing that you have good things for me, and I may not get where I wanted to go, but it won't be because I let the enemy's fear lie of fear hold me back. Now, as I begin this final point today, I, I want to be clear about something. And that is, as you're seated here today in this fellowship and you're here at this church, this is one God-blessed church. God has blessed us beyond belief. When I came here a little over three years ago, we had excess of a million dollars worth of debt on this facility. God has blessed us. We are paying that off at lightning speed. We're down to about a third of that now. 
I mean, God has just been doing amazing things. He's been opening up the windows of heaven, the storehouse of heaven over, over our church, and we're seeing God's blessing. Several months ago, I was in a group of leaders, a team here at the church, and I happened to mention to them, I said, listen, guys, I, one day I could see, you know, shuttles out in our parking lots running back and forth, bringing people in and, and helping, you know, with our guest relations and everything. How do you want to do that, Pastor? Well, I think we need a golf cart. A, one, singular. By the end of that meeting, somebody came to me. The Lord moved on their heart. They came to me and they said, listen, I, I want to take care of that for you. I said, oh, that's tremendous. That is praise the Lord for that. Wait, 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 wait. The, by the next day, they came back to me and said, you know what, I've been thinking about it. You know, me and my wife have talked it over, and we don't feel like one's going to be enough. We think you're going to need two. So what I'd like to do, and he mentioned the size of the check that he'd like to bring by the church the next day, and after he picked me up off the floor, you know, he explained to me, you know, why he thought that was beneficial and everything. And we not only made that purchase of the two shuttles that are running out in our parking lot now, but we also built the building in the back to store them in and everything. Why? Because God always does exceeding abundantly above everything that we ask or think. Just, just a few weeks ago, as I mentioned here in the service, that our Pulse College ministry could use a trailer in order to haul all their things back and forth to the East Carolina campus, and God is blessing that ministry as well. And, you know, before I left, before I got out the doors and through the foyer, somebody had already come to me and said, listen, Pastor, go buy the trailer, whatever you need, get it lettered up, look like the van, everything, I'll take care of all of it. Yay, God. Say, Pastor, why are you saying all that this morning? And I'm saying all that to say to you, I'm not speaking to you from a standpoint of desperation or of need. I'm not begging for the coffer. I'm not begging for the treasury. But I want to share with you something I'm speaking expressly in regard to what God wants to do in our lives if we'll trust him this way. And one area, and often the last area of our physical lives that people are reluctant to fully trust God in is in the area of honoring God with their finances. I can love the Lord with all my heart. I can worship Jesus. I can come in this house and lift my hands. And when I walk out of here, I can do my best to walk the straightest line that I can walk in a God-honoring way. But I'm not fully trusting God with my physical life until I've been able and willing to open up to Him my physical goods. And say, Lord, you, you're not only the Lord of my heart, you're the Lord of everything I've got. The simple principle of Scripture is this, that where a man's treasure is, there his heart's going to be also. And I don't necessarily believe that this word treasure here is to be understood as a collection of wealth and goods, but because I believe there's a lot of people who have an abundance, but their heart isn't at the bank. I believe treasure here is indicative of the things that we most highly value or the things that we esteem the most in our lives. And conversely, it's true that our money follows our heart. 
The things we value are the things in which we invest. And God wants to be number one in our lives. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. I understand that you might want your kid to have that college scholarship. And you think that softball is the route. Baseball's the route. Football's the route. Lacrosse, whatever it is. But when you're paying five, six hundred dollars for a bat and you're robbing God, you're not trusting him. You may not get the scholarship, but God can open doors that no man can shut and he can close doors that no man can open. And we need to trust him. Amen. (laughs) Honoring God with the first fruit of our increase You know, I expected that it would get really quiet in here right about now. (laughs) Honoring God with the first fruit of our increase as instructed in the scriptures is a powerful way that we can honor God not only with our hearts but also with our physical lives. It says, God, I trust you. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, some people trust in their careers, some people trust in their portfolios, and those things are great and fine, and some trust in great fortunes, but my God, I trust in you. I trust in you. It recognizes God as our provider, as being faithful and true, and expresses our trust in the promise of God that says, give and it'll be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap for in the same measure that you use, it will be measured to you. And of course, you remember the promise of God through the prophet Malachi that we would try God. Try, he says, try me with this. See what I'll do. See what I'll do. Now, of course, as I said at the onset, this is by no means an all-inclusive list of the ways that we need to allow the Lordship of Christ to permeate our being, not just something that we say is in our heart, but it's in the way we live. It's in the way we express ourselves. It's in the way we handle our relationships. It's in the way we handle our business dealings. There are enough to remind us the principles of the Word, and we can make those other applications to our lives as needed. as needful as these things are however let me caution you that they won't come easy it's not always popular to live according to the word of the Lord if you're going to order the whole of your life after God's plans and purposes and will you may or may not be the most popular person among your peers and your co-workers and your so-called friends You may find that you need some new friends, some new influences, a new network of people in your life to get you from where you are to where you need to be. And above all, I can promise you that you will never get the nod of approval from the world system that's ruled by the Antichrist spirit. But as long as you've got the nod of Almighty God, isn't that all that matters? 
won't be void of resistance, hardship, or trial. You will never accomplish anything of worth or value in your life without resistance. Anytime you and I resolve to follow God's plan for our lives, there is a 100% guarantee that you will meet resistance. It's going to require resolve and fortitude. Resolve is a made-up mind. Fortitude is the courage and the will of spirit to follow through on your commitments made to the Lord. It'll require both submission and leadership. Submission in that we have to humble ourselves before the Lord and seek His guidance for our own lives. And then having ascertained the will of God, we've got to walk submissively in the knowledge of that will. And leadership in that you know, we will have to be bold and courageous in setting the example before those whose lives we influence. We need to be established in, in, in a well-known mode of operation in our lives that everybody knows that we're not going to go along with it if it doesn't honor God. We need to be like Joshua. Joshua 24, 15, a very familiar passage of Scripture. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose you this day whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods of your ancestors that your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will, will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? But as for me and my house, we I hadn't planned to say this in this message, but as I was preparing, I just felt so strongly compelled from the Lord to, to just encourage you today. And I, I want to speak to the parents in the room specifically this morning. I'll speak to those, I'll speak to the grandmas and the grandpas. Would you pray for those who are actively engaged in the rearing of children? thought it was rough when yours were coming along how bad is that multiplied now with the rush of social media and all of the things that are instantly accessible in their lives moms and dads listen to me it's time for us to establish this very type of leadership in our homes we, we've got to stop letting the kids call the shots with regard to such things as the whether or not the family is going to attend church. We've got to stop letting the kids call the shots as to whether or not they're going to make it to the youth meeting. We need to stop allowing the kids to tell you whether or not they're going to watch immoral and demonic content on the devices that you're working overtime to pay for. I don't know who put that kid in the corner office at your house, but it's time for him to be evicted. Let them know there's a man or woman of God in the house that's making a stand that says, that's for me and my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Listen to me, I'm not done yet. You need to stop allowing your kids to walk around without enough cloth in their garments to cover their bodies for fear that you're going to be viewed as not cool. God didn't give you them babies for you to be cool. gave you a charge, a solemn, 
holy charge to train up a child in the way that he should go, that when he's old, he won't depart from it. God has given us a position in the family for which we will be accountable and it's time for us to train up the children in the way they should go train them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and train them to honor God with their lives and you may make them mad my mama used to make me so mad they are the ash of more vinyl in my mom and daddy's fireplace than you can shake a stick at find them devilish tapes and records and burn them up and you know what you know what she said it might stay in your car it might be out there in that truck that you're paying for but it ain't staying in my house bring it in my house it's going to get burned up woman listen to me it's time for you to stop falling for the enemy's live rebellion and walk under the covering of your parents God has put them in your lives for such a time as this to be a covering for you and I know that we live in a society that has taken the grace of God as a license for sin we have glorified the rebel in our society and we have embraced rebellion so much in the, in the church as well we have embraced a haughty spirit that applauded those who quote make their own way and that that way of course pushes the boundaries of honoring God on our own terms I mean, if you know people, they, they, want to be, they want to be considered Christian, but they want to push the boundaries and they want to honor God on their terms. And you're too old. You're out of touch. You don't understand. Well, all I have to say about that is this. Saul was anointed king. And Saul insisted on honoring God on his own terms rather than walking in accordance with the word of the Lord. And consequently, we read this about Saul's life. The word of the Lord, 1 Samuel 15, 23, says this, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Church, we're not going to turn a deaf ear to the word of the Lord. We're not going to turn a deaf ear to the direction of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to turn a deaf ear to what is plain in plain sight before us and we know is God's will and God's desire and live a blessed life. It's not going to happen. I can't claim Christ as my spiritual Lord and then turn with a proud look towards my physical existence and go on satisfying my own flesh and expect God's blessing over my life. There's a way that seems right to a man, the Word says, but the end thereof is destruction. I want to encourage you today to serve God 
serve God with your whole life? Not, not just, am I saved? Did I go to church? Am I trusting God for my salvation? Are you trusting God with work tomorrow? Are you trusting God with the witness of your life as you go and interact with other people? Are you trusting God with your finances? With the physical well-being of your family? Trust Him in everything. Everything that you are. Everything that you ever hope to be. Trust Him with it. Would you stand with me? our altar team to come this morning I I was reluctant to do so in the first service this morning but I just feel a tug of the Holy Spirit in this room right now that there may be some people right now that are being awakened to the realization of some things in your own life as the Spirit of the Lord brings this word to life in you today and it's no condemnation it's no judgment I, we're not here to judge anybody if you're here to judge anybody you can be dismissed now if you were expecting perfect people you should have went to a different place but not here I've got to tell you I stand before you today the chief of the broken back together by the grace of God. But if you're in this place and for any reason, if you need salvation, today is the day. If you recognize through this word today that there's been a spirit of rebellion in your life that's been ruling and reigning over you, that's been causing you to push away from the things of God, Pastor, I've got to tell you every word that you said about being fearful, about not releasing my my life to the hand of the Lord, about not fully trusting Him in certain areas. We don't have to get all specific into what that is, but I want to tell you today, there's power in prayer. And our worship team is going to sing this song here in just a second. And as they begin to sing that song, I, I want you to do more than sing that song. I want you to make it your prayer. Today, if there's any holdout in your life whatsoever, if there's anything that you've tried to keep separate, if there's a room in your life that that if Jesus came to visit, you'd, you'd want to run shut the door real quick. You know how it is when company's coming. I've been doing some, some home renovations lately, and my garage is a mess. And my wife says, whatever you do, don't bring anybody home through the garage. We've all got them. Today, if you need somebody to trust you, to join your faith with theirs, and to believe God for a miracle in the middle of your mess today, I want to invite you as we sing this song, not just to sing, but to make it your prayer. 
God, I give myself away. Right now, Lord, right here, I give myself away. I want to honor you with everything that I am, all that I ever will be from this day forward. I want to bring glory and praise to the name of Jesus. I want this world to see what a transformed life looks like that is lived in accordance with the word and the power and the unction of the Holy Spirit. As we sing, would you come? We hope you enjoyed this inspirational message today. If you would like more information about Faith Assembly, please visit us on the web at faith-assembly.org. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day.